Welcome to another episode of the Seminar This is L. KB. Hashtag feminism. African queen. African queen. Three black black women. Where's the lie? Greetings and salutations. I open it up differently. (laughs) You're so silly. I said greetings and salutations. That's how I want to open up the podcast. So you know it's a different person leading. Okay, there we go. Welcome. (laughs) We're here. We have L. People do not freak. She's here. She's coming. So she'll join us a little bit later in the show. We have a special guest joining us tonight. So we are super excited. We are not saying anything yet. I think we should just wait until like it's time and then we release the beast. Okay, there we go. So how are you doing, Suge? Well, right now I'm slightly upset because right before we hop on, I saw a post on Facebook from my hometown, unfortunately, and the sheriff's department decided that they thought they were going to be cute and put up a Christmas tree with the mug shots of the people that they have arrested. So instead of calling them mug shots, they called them thug shots and they're encouraging people to like stop by the station and take a look at the pictures and also you know you could come pick out some of the things that these people have stolen like they they think they're being cute but I feel like this is an example of why people are very anti-police and why people are saying defund the police because there's nothing cute or funny about this wait I'm sorry so we're gonna mix Jesus Christ into the criminals like what is the purpose this has nothing to do with Christmas. Like they just thought that they were being cute. And I saw that this post has been shared over, it looks like it's gotten over 10,000 comments and 6,000 shares. Is no one having a problem with this? Or is this just... Yeah, like people are going off in the comments, but then you also have, you know, your Trump supporters who are basically doing what they do. And, you know, people think that it's funny or, and I'm just like, this is disgusting like there was no need to put this up and whoever is in charge of the mobile county police department like shame on you and you deserve to be fired wow okay so that's how you're doing that's horrible though i will say that this has been hell week for me it has been a so much happening and just working i had a wonderful panel this past world aids day and i actually moderated I had a big presentation at work today and we're celebrating our anniversary. So we're going to be having some fun uh, later on this weekend. And so it's just a lot happening all over, but I'm maintaining. So let's kick this off because let's talk about the fight. And I'm sure everybody knows what fight we're talking about. Mike Tyson versus Roy Jones. Did you see it? So here's the thing. I've watched it kind of on a, a bootleg hookup. So I paid this guy $5 to watch it on Zoom. Like he had a Zoom party. <laughs> wait, wait, wait. Okay, yeah. go. But, go, I'm go. Serious. but the idea was genius, okay? Because I think the fight 
once you watch it, it costs like $50 or whatever, right? And guess so what? He, they got a, over a million pay-per-view purchases. So they made yes, money. Go. They made some serious money. But this guy was charging everybody like $5 a pop. And there were over 50 people oh on this Zoom party. So he made a nice little chunk of change. And I was like, damn, I wish I would have thought of that. But I, so I watched or I tried to watch the fight but I ended up falling asleep on it so I woke up like as soon as they were finished it, it was a long one it was a long one but the fight right before Mike Tyson and Roy Jones is what was the funniest <laughs> yo I didn't even know who Nate Robinson was nor who white boy was I but I was concerned you know him now I him get hit like that first of all you let me know just know him now I would facts what I will say is that I was at an event. It was outdoors. Let me let everybody know. I was trying to be safe. I was actually outdoors and it was at this guy's house. He's a little reckless though, because they were acting like nothing, no pandemic was happening. Nobody mm -hmm. had on a mask. Like I'm the only one mm -hmm. a mask. So, you know, I stayed hella far away from everybody. I stayed mm -hmm. outside in the damn cold and did not care. I love my life. And that was it. But when that dog on Nate Robinson, I remember someone was saying like, oh, he played basketball. So I'm just like, well, what made him say he was going to box? Like, I didn't know it was like this amateur thing. And the guy, the white boy was a YouTuber. He plays for the NBA. He plays for the Knicks. And I was just like, oh my God, I'm so embarrassed for him. Like, look, shoot, that hit, that did, that hit did everything to me. I was concerned. Did you see the memes though that the came out of live. The, memes, <laughs> the memes were immediate. They were immediate. But I just want to give a shout out. The reason I'm bringing this story is I want to give a shout out to Snoop Dogg. Snoop Dogg has been able to continue to reinvent himself over and over again. It was a commentary that the people that were there, and I was with a younger group of people. That was the other problem. Too young. I can't hang with y'all. Because um, y'all don't care about y'all life one for one. And then two, we just don't have nothing to talk about. But that commentary that they gave, y'all, I recorded the entire thing. We're going to put it up on our special um, website so that people can hear that. Because when I tell you I was hollering the entire time in their commentary during this fight, it was hilarious. But anyway, Snoop Dogg is able to reinvent himself. He is, you know, being a con serving as a commentator. Now he's actually you know, teamed up with Triller. Triller is the group that actually sponsored the fight. So if you okay. would have saw in the background, they were the one that had sponsored the fight and he's teamed up the, with them to do a new boxing league called the fight club. This is hella smart. They integrated in this fight, musical performances. And because we were outside, we didn't get to hear the volume until the actual fight. They had to hook it up with Bluetooth, but they had it on a projector, but you saw the, you know, the musical performances, like it was super organized. And I just think like they were saying people who actually watch fights, they were making a comment saying things have slowed down with people watching fights. And so this was really a way for them to like get people back involved in watching, you know, fights. So I just think it's genius. I just want to give a shout out to Snoop for that because they, like I said, over a million pay-per-view um, buys. I mean, the, the fight did really well. I it mean, they did. executed and they're going to keep on doing it. But baby, Mike Tyson, I wait on my sweater. Y'all, I got an ugly sweater, like for the ugly sweater, Christmas sweater. And it's a Mike Tyson one. Because every what? time that man talk, 
That shit makes me so it makes me scream. And baby, when Roy Jones was done with that fight, he looked like he wanted to just ball over and just cry. His ribs. No, I'm not. He didn't even move. Like he was like paralyzed standing up there. But you know what? He should have known that because I was like, you know, when they released the video of them practicing, like Mike was taking it seriously and Roy was out there being cute. So I'm like, say, bro, I don't think you ready for what's about to happen because I think Roy was just like, oh, this is just for, you know, old time steak. We finna go get this bag. And Mike was like, nah, like I'm, I'm here. Like, this is a, a comeback. Like, he had I'm been 15 years. Y'all. He had been 15 years out. And he was like, Roy Jones been, you know, hasn't fought in like, I guess three years, something like that. But listen, when Roy Jones was still breathing hard and that <laughs> dog on fight had concluded at least 15 <laughs> minutes, you would have thought they had just taken him out the ring. I just want to say that let's, let's move it right along. So now listen, this next door, you guys had showed me the picture. Somebody said I was inappropriate in the text group, <laughs> but I didn't, I, I thought it was a man. Okay. I, I say that. I just want, okay. You want to tell the story? Sure. I know. I'm just laughing because the commentary was hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> Wait. And somebody says, and she one of the ones you can't take nowhere. What? Exactly. Exactly. I was like, I thought you knew this. You know this. Producer, you know you can't just take saying, her nowhere. Well, this story is about Sarah Fuller, who I don't know, of course, uh, with a kickoff is the first w- woman to play football in a power five game. But baby, you see, it was two people on that text message. One of them looked real manly, but the other one didn't. So now which one we talk about? See, y'all ain't gonna y'all ain't gonna make it like it was just me that was thinking this. Okay. I I I don't know these people, but you know, I I will say she does have sh- strong features and I will leave it at that. Okay. Well, shout out to her for, for breaking <laughs> ground. <laughs> so what's your president up to? What's your 45 up to? Well, I'm I was about to say you mean 46 or 44. Like 45 no. is we we going to skip over that one. We'll no, no. Nah, 45 trying to get off the pot before it get real hot. And trying to help his homies at the same time. What's the deal with this pardon situation? Because I ain't been so, following this all the way. So the whole thing about 45, because I don't even want to say his name, trying to get reelected is because, you know, while you're president, you can't get arrested, which I think, I believe I knew, but I completely forgotten about. But, you know, um, so everything that he has been doing or has done but why it's would you know up. that? Like, nobody thinks about this. Here's what I'm going to say before you finish and tell this story, because I, I don't know much about it. I think that one thing this presidency has done, and I've heard numerous people say this, and I totally agree, is that it's taught us all of the loopholes that we currently have in our, mm-hmm. our system. Yeah, absolutely. So, and that's why I'm like, you know, we need to revisit a lot of these laws that are still on the books because it's time to you know, revise a lot of this stuff. But basically, Trump and his friends have been doing a lot of shady things since he's been in office. And all of that is going to come to light now that his term is coming to an end. So he has actually been meeting with Rudy Giuliani, who is his lawyer, and trying to figure out a way to get a pardon before he gets out of office. In what world is this possible? Like, I really don't 
understand. So it's like, okay, if you're already thinking about trying to get a pardon for something, then that means that you have to be guilty of something, right? So it's like, what, what is that? And I feel like a lot of things that he's been doing behind the scenes and also that the Republican Party has been covering for him is going to come to light once he gets out of office because who does that? But then also, too, I think it's very interesting because this is the first time that I know of in history that this has happened. So it'll be very interesting once he leaves office in January. And I hope that they they televise the whole thing. Like, I want to see him being um, kicking and screaming, dragged out of the Oval Office. I'm taping it, as a matter of fact. So and then in other news, oh, I don't know. If you, I'm sorry, y'all, I'm reading the comments from our producer. producer. And what did he say? He said, drug off, like go to jail Monopoly card. I can't stand you. But in other news, so, you know, we're still dealing with COVID. And so I don't know if you guys have seen this article, but there was a couple who was actually arrested for boarding a flight after they were tested positive for COVID-19. But I guess they were like, you know, we just still finna catch this good flight and whatever happens, happens. So they were actually, they were in Hawaii. And get this, they were actually in Hawaii with their four-year-old son. And they knew that they had COVID, but still had the audacity to get on the flight. And I don't know. That's trifling. Trifle. I don't know if anybody else has been paying attention, but Hawaii is one of those states like, nah, we not, don't come yeah, here. Hawaii is not with the stuff. So um, the fact that they even thought that they were going to get away with this was just ridiculous. But it was like, oh, okay, we finna show you. So y'all had the audacity to hop on this flight, knowing that you were sick, knowing that you could have infected someone else. And not only that, with your child so now we're gonna we're gonna take you to jail just to prove a point and let y'all know that we're not playing with you and this disease is serious and if you don't want to sit down we will sit you down well but their bail wasn't bad so their bail was a thousand dollars which they paid and they could face up to a year in jail and be fined two thousand dollars if convicted listen everybody need to be doing that though like you can't put, sit up there and continue to play with people and play with people's lives. And like you say, if you know that you're sick, like you're endangering other people. You think about that wedding y'all sent that link to me about the mm-hmm. one wedding where what seven other people died that didn't even attend the wedding. Like that's yeah. not fair to everybody else. But I mean, that's the reality of COVID. And that's why I'm like, you know, all of these People are trying to make all of these measures about sending kids and stuff back to school. But I'm like, the reality of it is, is that people cannot afford to miss work. So I get it. It's like, either I don't go into work, I can't not get paid because I still have to pay this rent. Or I got to send these kids to school knowing that they're sick. But I, there's nothing that I can do with them because I have to go to work. And I feel like, you know, the government has the government. Exactly. A major disservice to the American, you know, public because they haven't really thought out this whole situation. Like they still haven't really thought out the whole situation because, you know, their focus is we have to open the country back up because we have to save the economy. 
Exactly. That's your only thought. And it's not about the lives and what's going to look good. And I think your boy 45 is just doing any and everything he can do to make this as messed up of a situation before he walk up out those doors. Like that straight up was happening. Like what, what else could be the reason? Honestly, I really think that he doesn't care. I think right now 45 is more in like safe face mode and it's all about trying to protect me and make sure that I'm not going to jail and all of my friends are paid and I still got money in the bank when it's time for me to get out of office. But he was really banking on being in office for another four years. But, you know, we know how the election went. So now he's he's not. And everything that he's put through up at the wall, I think one thing stuck and that was from somebody voting extra for him that was a funny thing about it but i don't know that that situation is crazy but let's tell me about you know the ship i didn't get to watch this oh okay so for the audience who is not aware i mentioned this on previous shows but there was a special that aired on pbs last weekend talking about the finding of the clotilda which was the last documented slave ship to come to America. And I'm also, I'm a sixth generation descendant. So my great, great, great grandparents were on the ship. So I just wanted to mention that to anyone who hasn't had a chance to check out the documentary, try and find it on demand. It was on 60 Minutes. So hopefully you guys can check that out and learn a little bit more about the history of what happened with the ship, how it got here. Because this was what slavery was abolished in what 1865 the ship got to mobile in 1860 but it was outlawed that you could go to africa and bring back people in 1805 so this was a good 55 years after the fact and they still brought you know people here which was illegal at the time and some of the ramifications that we're still seeing like today in the neighborhood where they set up their own settlement. So it was very interesting, but you know, sometimes I can't watch that stuff because it makes me sad all over again. Like just seeing some of the stuff that my family had to deal with, but check it out. If you get a chance, please drop us a line and let us know what you thought like on our Instagram and Facebook pages. That's what's up. So audience of FNF, we are like extremely excited when I say like all of us are kind of like freaking out right now because we're like, oh my gosh, she actually showed up. So we want to welcome to Femme Noir Files, Miss Afua Richardson. So who, if you don't know, you should know because she is like the ultimate artist in every sense of the word. I mean, like musically inclined, like She's worked with Marvel. She's worked with DC. And, you know, of course, we're going to talk about Lovecraft Country, which was like, you know, very popular over the summer. So if you watch the series, you've definitely seen some of her artwork. But to give you a little bit of her background, Afua Richardson is an American illustrator best known for her work on the Eisner winning series Black Panther World of Wakanda. Other works include X-Men 92, all-Star Batman, and HBO's Lovecraft Country, produced by Misha Green and produced by J.J. Abrams and Jordan Peele. In addition to being an illustrator, Afua is a singer-songwriter, musician, and voice actor, and mentor to many aspiring artists. 
She is the creator of her upcoming series, Aquarius, the Book of Merv, which we are going to be talking about a little bit later in the show. But everyone, please welcome Miss Afua Richardson. Thank you so much. Yes. Yes. Listen, we in the big time. What's that show? Good time. You know, you, what, 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 what's, what's the one are you moving? No, we moving, moving on. on, on the right. <laughs> wait, wait. Moving on up. That's what I wanted. <laughs> oh, you make me sound fancy. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much for being here. And we got a yeah. special guest in the room, but we're going to talk about her later. But I just, I had to have her in the room because when I know that greatness, I need her to see it. Yes. So, you know, train up a child in the way they should go, right? Okay, there we go. We're going to get it caught. We're going to get it started. So <laughs> my first question for you is, and this was exciting for me because of my background in the sciences, mm-hmm. uh, I wanted to, you know, ask you, you know, as we understand it, you come from a family of scientists. Mm-hmm. Um, you're still a classically trained flutist. You've been a background singer, dancer. You've been in off-Broadway shows and like a true artist in every sense of the word. Understanding that there's really a connection between the sciences and art. When did you realize your love of the arts? And you know, I'm of course asking this because I am in the sciences, but I have that that art background as well with, you know, DJ and, you know, I, I laugh about my daughter loving art and I was like, where did this come from? But you know, it, it's in us. So what, where did your love come from? When did you realize it? Oh, oh man, I don't, I don't know if there was a point in my life where art and music were not involved. Uh, I think um, when my babysitters gave me back to my mom at the end of the day, they were like, you got you a singing baby. Like whenever the radio is on, I would be standing up my little diaper and singing. Of course, I don't remember that, but I remember when my dad gave me a box of Crayola crayons that had 101 and a little sharpener in the front. And I realized that there were 101 colors or more. And I was just like, what? (laughs) There's more than just blue? There's periwinkle? It has a name. (laughs) I was so excited. (laughs) I was like, okay, I I don't need any of that other stuff. Just give me some paper and some headphones. And, you know, I'll play my little records. And I just want to go through all these colors. There are more, there's more, there's chartreuse. I don't even know how to pronounce this. I was like, chartreuse. But, but <laughs> I just, I was just so excited that there were more ways to express myself. Yeah. And my dad was, is always very encouraging. And he would always give me tools and just kind of leave me to my devices. He wouldn't necessarily force me in any direction. He would just introduce me to things and say, you know, this is great, you know, take a listen, or um, just, this is really beautiful to take a look and then leave me alone. If it was something that I wanted to get into, he would uh, say, well, you know, whatever it is you want to do, just be excellent at it. And then of course, you know, as we all hear from my grandfather, who was, um, he he just passed away last year, but he, um, he was a photographer, member of the Army Corps of Civil Engineers. He was a forensic photographer. He took a rare photo of Martin Luther King in Tuscaloosa when he was 27 years old. So each member of my family, they're polymaths. 
So my dad's a physicist, but he in college, he was a sculptor and an oil painter. My older sister, she is a systems engineer at Lockheed. And yes! she is a- She's an engineer. <laughs> She's got, an engineer. Yes, she is an engineer, engineer. And she does photography and crafts mm-hmm. and arrangements. And she sews, she makes clothes. I mean, so that was something, and, and that was something that was always a, a part of my family. And then when I really started looking into what the arts were, mm-hmm. it all kind of breaks down to math. I had some teacher when I was in the you know, third grade tell me I was terrible at math. And so I believed it. Mm-hmm. And when I really started looking at all of these crafts, each one of these disciplines are expressions of math. Mm-hmm. Music is number and time. Physics yeah. is number and space and time. You know, you're you're seeing these different expressions. So when you're an engineer or you're like, you know, system minded, you can approach an art as an engineer. And and it doesn't necessarily have to be the case, but we get told that those things have to be separate. Mm-hmm. And right. I love biology. I absolutely just that was my thing. If if I didn't do art, I would have been Dr. Foo for real. Mm-hmm. Because mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I um I was always trying to look into foods and things that would um help me feel better without medicine. With mm-hmm. I mean, and not that there's anything wrong with that, yes. but I was about prevention more than treating the symptoms. Mm-hmm. Right. And it's so another, like, okay, well, yeah. you know, my fingernails are weak. Right. Right. You know, if, if you can say like, okay, well, my fingernails are weak. What do I need more of? You know, oh, I do I need that. more collagen? Do I need more vitamin C? What foods can I get that from? What mm-hmm. am I missing? Like, and those, that's, that's what I think an artist does. They solve problems and so do engineers. For so sure. I think in my family, the bridge builders, the nurses, the carpenters, the engineers, the physicists, they were all comfortable being artists as well. But I I think I'm one of the few who leaned in the art direction more than the sciences. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And uh, I I approach my, my art scientifically and I'm like okay well I'm weak at hands so that means I have to draw you know 100 hands in order to be good at this <laughs> I'm like well you know practice doesn't make perfect perfect practice makes perfect so Ooh, I like that drop that gym look at that we gonna, that's gonna be one of the <laughs> tags thank you you gave that to us really nicely I think that's amazing I totally agree with it and it was so funny when my daughter first you know started she was into science and then she started leaning towards you know art and I was like well wait a minute I thought she's going to be like her dad and I like we're both you know pharmacists like you know then I was like well you got to think about it KB you are into the arts too and then you got STEAM and all of these programs and I'm like okay so when STEAM came in I'm like okay so they're recognizing this too and then I was able to and like you say like your dad did I am all about if I see that you are into something I want to support that because then guess what you'll let me know if that's not what you want to do so I never Mm -hmm. try to force you you say you want to come to me hey I need this oh okay Right. You no. Know, and then once you're done with it, okay, you're done with that. So it's all about ex- exploration. I think at that age, and I think anyone that holds that back, you could be holding a gym back like a fool today. Like we need you. Okay. That's it. Mm. So I'm gonna go ahead. Go ahead <laughs> no, no, you're, you're right. I think art definitely gave me an emotional maturity that I don't think I would have had independently of it because there was a lot of things going on in my mind that I couldn't say. And I felt like I could say it in art without anyone really 
you know, looking over my shoulder and judging me or, or making me feel self-conscious about it. And I'm just like, well, I know I'm not the best, but who is? And this is my sketchbook. And I just, this is what I'm seeing. This is what's in my mind. And I can make something. So if I'm feeling something, I can make something instead of destroying something, which is what I mm. saw a lot of other people around me doing when they were dealing with stress. And so yeah. it was yeah. something that, you know, not only helped me um, systemize my mind, but deal with stress and emotions. And, and I'm still figuring it out. That doesn't mean that I can do a painting and then everything's fixed. Yeah. <laughs> you know? But um, it's always a journey for that. So right? yeah, that's always when, a journey. When I felt like I just, when I felt like I was just, I'm not important. My thoughts don't matter. I don't, I'm, I'm not a big deal everybody has a purpose in life and maybe mine is just to be forgotten, you know, just these terrible things that I thought about myself. And then I had art, which was um, a discipline that no one could take away. Yes. You know, I said that about knowledge. Was, you know, I, I can say yeah. whatever I want. Right. Yeah. And, said- and that's what it is. It's, it's how to represent life, how to represent your thoughts and make your thoughts real. Mm-hmm. And I, I've actually, I'm noticing a lot more creatives have shared disciplines. And that's when you see the uh, genius come in because yeah. you're not just coming in and then doing what was standard. You're coming in and you're changing the norm with innovation because you're coming from a different discipline. So mm-hmm. there is um, a, a really cool writer. Um, his, his name eludes me at the moment, but he is an entomologist. Is that the one who studies bugs? Yes. Yes, yes it is. So he would write about these creatures and they were so descriptive, but it, he comes from this, you know, he comes from this background of studying the chitin and their, their arms and how they chemically communicate. So he would make these really intense characters from a place of knowing, mm. you know? And so um, I think you know, uh, we were talking uh, before this started about Prince. And the thing that was really amazing about Prince is that he was an innovator. You know, he was, he had all of these different influences come in and change music as a whole because he was just himself. But right. he was a musician and a dancer and a songwriter and a producer. And, but he was also business savvy. And I think mm-hmm. business savvy and art don't often go together. And we just right. think starving artist, you're a starving right. artist. Yeah, you're starving because you don't know we don't have that business mind Mm -hmm. (laughs) exactly we are just like we're here to soak up everything that you want to share with us but we did want to talk a little bit about your comic background so you've worked with dc comics you've worked with marvel which has been your favorite comic book project that you've worked on to date and why oh wow I mean, each one was just really cool because I'm such a fan of comics. <laughs> so it's like, yeah. hey, that thing that you really, really love, would you like to get paid money to make your version of it? And I'm like, ah. right. <laughs> like, <laughs> okay. Um, because what's, what's really better I, I than like I could... getting paid for doing what you love? What, like, what? What is right. the, I just, I'm asking, I don't, I don't know the answer, you know? 
okay. you know, because I mean, it's still work. It's still you know, work. It's still going to be work. And it might, you might as well be proud of it at the end of it. Yeah. Yes. yes. And sometimes it doesn't always feel like work. Yeah. Thing. It doesn't always feel like work. Yeah. Especially when you love it. It definitely feels like work when you're hitting that deadline. (laughs) Oh, yeah. When they put the, the, yes. When you have to, yeah. That's true. Drink more coffee. Stay up. What time is it? I don't want to look at the time. I don't want to look at the time. (laughs) I'm just going to. But that's true. The rare difference is, you know, when you clock out, which doesn't really happen for for artists, but when you're done with the piece and you turn it in and you just have that, I'm done. I can't change mm-hmm. this anymore or critique mm-hmm. it. It's finished. It's out there. And I don't hate this. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Because <laughs> you're going to pick it apart. Mm-hmm. And a, a lot of artists will come to me and, and ask, you know, when do you feel good about your artwork? And I was like, oh, never. But mm-hmm. you're so uh-huh. busy at some point that you just kind of say, well, because the vision in your mind is always ahead of your hands. Yeah. Always. I can see that. So you constantly have to sharpen and sharpen that tool so that it gets smaller and smaller, like the the, the gap between your capabilities and your vision. So you can't really beat yourself up. You're going to have to put in those repetitions. And it's hard to compare yourself to people who have put in more repetitions than you because that line from their head to their hands is way, way faster and the grooves are already set. So there's going to be a couple of years where you're learning and learning and then trying to make a living that's always going to be difficult and you're never really going to be able to ask for what it is that you need to survive. And so I think that's where the starving artist comes in because some people will go to school and they'll get saddled with all this debt, but they don't Mm -hmm. have the business savvy to be able to turn what it is that they've learned into a business. Mm -hmm. And um, even though my dad was very, very encouraging, he would say, you know, do art, but don't do something seriously. Have a backup. Yeah, Yeah. Mm -hmm. exactly. Not because he didn't believe in me, but he understood the path of art. Right. And you can go to school, you can learn, but you might not resonate with people and being able to, you know, accept that and say, okay, well, I am making this for myself. I am making something that I like and enjoy, but if I want to be a commercial artist, I also have to be able to kind of just throw a little of my ego away and understand Mm -hmm. that I'm trying to meet someone else's vision for a job. Yeah. and being flexible with that so that was that was a learning experience <laughs> I uh, yeah. um I got into graphic design first okay uh, I was a musician uh, a, a flautist a flute player from nine until you know present day I played a flute too so I'm excited <laughs> my my sister played it I, I couldn't play any instrument like, no. <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> it's okay Okay. L L was a band director. Like I wish in high school. Drum major. I was the drum. Oh, the drum. I'm sorry. What I call it? The band director. Yes, you okay. did. It's not the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't I just tell y'all to play that? Okay, go. <laughs> so, so if we know that back mm-hmm. in 2011, you won mm-hmm. the Young, Gifted, and Black Nina Simone Award 
for uh, for being one of the few African-American women comic book artists to work in the industry. And you've worked with DC and Marvel. So if you can tell us a little bit what that experience has been like for you, especially being a Black mm -hmm. woman working in a white male-dominated industry. Well, it's, it's interesting. When I, I first started going to comic conventions, I, actually, before I get into that, I'm going to rewind and say having Nina Simone and my name in the same sentence. Amazing. Man, listen, That's a lot of people can't say it. A lot of people can't say it. You can. Yeah. yeah. Right. Let's just right. first. Right. So, you know, I just like, bless. I, 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 I mean, just her, her capabilities as a piano player alone. Not, not just, you know, vocalist, songwriter, activist, all the things that she'd done, but just, just a piano player alone. Brilliant. And uh, an absolute honor and an and absolute honor to just receive that. And, you know, I didn't get into comics or even um, when I first started thinking about becoming an artist, it was difficult for me because I, I didn't go to school for art. I'm self-taught. And I thought, well, I've spent all this time learning music. I just kind of like to sketch in my sketchbooks. I don't know anything about making comics or telling stories, but I really like stories. I, I just didn't seem like a realistic step for me because there was so much that I didn't know. And, you know, I knew nothing about the industry, but the really great thing about comic books is that there are comic conventions. Well, maybe not this year, but prior to this year, comic conventions, and mm -hmm. you can just walk right up to the CEOs of these companies, if you know their face, and they're also artists. And you don't, you know, they're there to sell books and to you know, sell prints and things like that. So you don't want to bend their ear. But if you have very precise questions, you can just ask them, like, what, what is something you would say to first year art you? You know, or, um, if you have a moment, uh, I'm, I don't want to show you a whole portfolio, but would you let me know what you think of my artwork? And being able to take that criticism is really difficult. But, you know, these are people who see the best of the best every day. And, and so I just started going to comic conventions. And my first big one was New York Comic Con. And I was really surprised when I saw Karan Grant, Sanford Green, Gail Simone, gosh, Aletha Martinez, and... 20 or so black latino female like just different nationalities that you wouldn't know were there just by looking at their names right. all you know is their artwork they're there they've been there it's just prior to the last i don't know 10 15 years the only comic book company that had you know big films besides you know marvel and blade was Warner Brothers. DC had mm -hmm. Batman and they yep. had, you know, Batman funds since the nineties. Right. So beyond that, it was a very small industry. And if you really wanted to get in, you had to draw like everybody else. And if you couldn't hang, you couldn't get in. Mm. But then they started expanding and changing. And I was more into anime and manga and 
heavy metal, just sci-fi and different kinds of stories. I love the superheroes, but the books that really resonated with me was like all the weird stuff. Yeah. <laughs> and I like mutants and just, I don't know, like Twilight Zone things. I liked yeah. cultural myths, you know, like uh, superheroes are, are great. But to me, the the people who I think I identified I identified with more out of the superheroes were the mutants like the monsters and the the creepy weirdos and things like that because I felt like a weirdo and so going into the industry and seeing who made it and that it wasn't what I thought yes the majority of them are white males but they come from all different walks of life like Don McGregor who basically created the world of Wakanda you know he's a He's an eggy Italian guy from New York, but he's got so much heart and so much soul. He loves these characters. Even now, even now, he loves these characters. So much so that, you know, the Black Panther was just kind of this side character who would show up and give the Fantastic Four some gear. I'm like, where did you get this plane? He's like, I got it from a Jungle King in Wakanda. And like, that was it. Like, that was like, that was all there was to the Black Panther. And Don McGregor and, you know, and his artist, he would go up to the Bronx, travel to the apartment, and they started drawing out the world. Wow. And they were like, well, let's, let's make a queen and Killmonger. Let's keep it, let's keep it African. Mm. Let's, you wow. know what I mean? Like he felt like, because, you know, Jack Kirby created the character, but right. he gave it so much life. Mm. And he's white. But right. Yeah, right. That doesn't mean that he loves it any less. Right. <laughs> you know, it's just he was the person who had the vision and moved forward with it. So then when you get to know these guys and you see how much of their heart and soul they put into these characters, they put they poured their life and their philosophy into it. It's like, yeah, you know, there are a lot of white guys here. <laughs> mm-hmm. But, mm-hmm. you know, when I, when I went up to the Bronx, and I was learning salsa there were a lot of Latinos there but I didn't feel excluded so when I started to I mean maybe in the 70s and the 80s or so of course you know with a boys club or any club where you're the other they're going to be people like what are you doing here you don't really you don't really like comics and I'm like whatever (laughs) you don't know me (laughs) like that's fine I have a book bag full of comics so I don't need your validation <laughs> right there you go exactly yeah. right I, don't. I need them to accept me you know um but yeah. my actual experience in working there my work got to speak for me and then when they got to meet me they were like you're a fool I'm like yep <laughs> so please write out my check to right. that a- part. Okay. get that right <laughs> yeah yeah we don't have any any misunderstandings right. let, exactly let me spell that just... for afua <laughs> <laughs> at first wow, i actually went it. under an alias because uh, i didn't what i was realizing when i started going to conventions and i was just too scared to share my artwork and i had a little sketchbook and i was like um I draw things, but I'm so scared to show you. This is my heart. Um, and then they'd snatch my book and look through it. And I'm like, you're good. Try this, this, and this. Like once I'd um, gotten over that and I started posting online, I went under an alias because, you know, with a name like Afua, they were just like, okay, you 
definitely have African heritage and mm-hmm. you are a woman. <laughs> like yeah. you sound like a battle cry, like someone jumps off of a cliff. Ah, like they're <laughs> 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 You just said a lot about me. <laughs> my my name is African as well. And I I See, you know very I will correct someone in a minute. So there African you go. Name. I am yes. I named my daughter an African yeah. name. We are like huge on it. Like yeah. I don't play those, you're not bringing me no colonizer name anyway but question before we get to the next question so what would be your like dream project like if you ever got the chance to get your hands on like any series of your choosing what would you like to take and run with it Mm, I kind of want to do two things uh like a road warrior storm in in like the 70s and uh, sort of like a X-Men blue, like all of the blue characters, Nightcrawler, Beast, we'll throw in Vision because we're not excluding Fuchsia people. Right. All of the blue no. people, like, and kind of make it like a jazzy noir sort of alternate world future like jazzy thing I was just like I just I just want that in my life I just want Hulk on the drums can that happen for me (laughs) (laughs) that'd be dope Mm -hmm. that sounds dope I'm like sign me up for that I'll watch that I don't even watch stuff like that but I'll watch that (laughs) like can you imagine Mystique like going up to the microphone and like switching between singers (laughs) Yeah, with the, with the flower in her hair, like Billie Holiday, like that would be dope. Yeah. Like, oh my god! <laughs> right? She'd be Louis Armstrong and like doing a duet with herself. Right. <laughs> that that sounds amazing. So let me ask you this: um, after hearing everything you've done thus far, and I know you're still in the beginning. Like this is not even your peak. Like I hope you know that. Anyway. You've had an amazing career thus far. How did you hook up with the folks at Lovecraft Country? And let me just let me just say this. When this show first came out, the ladies on the show are telling me about the show. And I'm like, nah, not watching that. Not watching that. Because I'm like, the that's not my feel. Like, that's not my area. And so right. they ended up, you know, I was like, okay, I'm going to watch it. I'm out of town. I'm in South Carolina with, with Elle. I'm like... I don't have nothing. Let me go watch. I'm in a hotel. Let me watch. I got hooked. I'm texting Shug. I think I FaceTimed you. It was like, so wait. I told you. I didn't know. I didn't know. I didn't know. However, I just, so I would love, and, and I have, I am a new fan. How did you hook up with that situation? That was a beautiful situation because I saw oh your illustrations. Gosh. Like, I didn't know that was you. I was like, oh my God, this is who we talking to? Yes. Okay, sorry. Go. <laughs> no, <that's okay. laughs> I was, I told my daughter, I said, this is who we're talking to. Okay, sorry. <laughs> well, I was very lucky to be selected for this. A large portion of Lovecraft Country was filmed here in Georgia. Uh, and mm-hmm. it happened oh, to be. Know. 15 minutes away from my house so it was oh, perfect wow. so I could work remotely and on set like it, I was on call basically for a year <laughs> I was on call I'm like we need you to come down and redraw this thing I was like okay 
<laughs> this is what's happening. I gotta stay up until six in the morning to finish this thing and then hand it to someone and then fall asleep. Um, but <laughs> I was recommended uh, by two of my friends who are were mural artists and, and work in t- TV and film. And uh, they were specifically looking for a black female illustrator to be able to draw for D. Mm-hmm. And I think they had another artist beforehand, but you know, sometimes you try out artists and it, they don't quite meet the vision, but they still did very good illustrations. But I think the direction that they gave them was, oh, we want you to draw like a kid, a very talented kid. So I think the artist interpreted that as I'm going to do child drawings. But they, um, JP Jones, who is the props master, and basically a props master is someone who makes everything that the actor touches that isn't wardrobe. Okay. So this guy made everything from Hippolyta's weapons to uh, the notebooks. He handmade the notebooks that wow. Dee uh, was drawing on. And I saw him do it. I was just like, did you make everything? <laughs> the orrery, that golden spinning yeah. gear. Yes. Yeah. Oh, he did that too? Yeah. Yeah, wow. he, he makes these things and he, you know, he, him and, and his assistant, Julie, they would just go around Georgia and find these pieces and assemble them and put them together. And they would have teams, you know, to make the things work, but he was the engineer of all that. So I worked with him directly. And then we would have meetings with Misha and they would kind of give me little pieces of the script, but I, of course I didn't have the whole story, which was nice for me because there was no real spoilers like I had an idea of what was happening to D, but not happening in the whole story so all I knew was Diana Freeman's story and okay. so working there I would get sort of the rundown for what's happening in the scene and then D's interpretation of it in comic book form so if you really think about it of course Arithia Blue is her mother is mm-hmm. but she knows that her mother wants to go on an adventure and the series that she made beforehand was Panther Man, which was about her dad, you know, going out into these dangerous jungles and bringing back information. She saw her parents as superheroes. She, she really, you know, loves them and they are model examples for her. So when she daydreams of them, uh, they are these heroes. And so it was cool because we, um, I got, sort of the costume design, you know, like the, the silver and gold and the, uh, the sort of um, orrery skirt for Arithia, but everything else I got to design. So we were debating between black hair and, and blue hair. I was like, oh, no, 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 no. We're giving her blue hair. <laughs> and we were going to have like a big hair. afro. It looked good. I liked it. <laughs> And, and um, we were going to, it was a toss up between the, the half Afro and the Betty Rubble, as I call it. And so I was like, Betty, let's go. Yes. <laughs> yes. Um, because it would be kind of hard to have a big old Afro inside. A the helmet. Was right. I'm like, it's going to be hot. You're just going to be like, <laughs> just sitting in there. So technically thinking those out and, and then receiving like just a rough, rendering of Topsy and Bopsy and then just trying to make the creepiest thing ever. I was like, I'm giving myself nightmares. (laughs) All nightmares. Yes. (laughs) Topsy and Bopsy. I was not, 
I was not ready for that. That thing like, was freaky. <laughs> you know what it reminded me of the clown. You remember like when we was kids, like movies with the clown and they yeah, like scarred you for life? All that. Yeah, like all it. Those? Yes. Yeah. yeah. That was on that level. Yeah. I'm just gonna put yeah. that out there. Oh my gosh. Yeah, like they they showed me that and then Uncle Tom's cabin and they were just like, just give us give us the creeps. And I was like, okay, you got it. Um and so I was just like, all right, let, let me remember what it's like to be this young and scared and absolutely terrified. Um, but also I got to work with uh, Jada Harris, who is uh, the actress who plays Diana Freeman, who plays Dee. And well, we did a couple of art lessons. So we spent a few hours and she's a very quick study. She's so awesome and she's super sweet. Her and her mom are amazing. Her mom was with her like the whole time. Uh, and she's a very young actress but a quick study she had to learn how to draw learn how to ride a bike you know she had to learn a lot of different things for this role and she was just hopping from one thing to the other remembering all her roles and put on a phenomenal performance that um you know i was just i was just really proud to work with her directly uh and um because you know i was drawing I was drawing for her, you know, Misha wanted to make sure that when she was finishing the lines, that it was something that felt natural. So that's why we, we worked together on, on those. And, and then when I got a chance to work on Hippolytus comic, where, you know, sorry, all for the spoilers who haven't seen it yet. <laughs> no, that's their fault because they, they should have seen it by now. <laughs> they have plenty of time to watch it and to exactly. watch it three times. Especially right. if I done caught up, you know you bad. Right. <laughs> <laughs> when I got I, to work on Hippolyta's comic, yeah. um, it was Misha and JP who decided like, yeah, we're going to give a full cameo. It was actually going to be a full comic. And then I think we got some of the dates mixed up so we couldn't like... Oh, they shot her name out of the filming. episode. I was like, oh, like, yeah, was I was like, an artist basically named document. <laughs> I was like, oh, I was like, oh my god, they said her name. <laughs> I like JP came in and told me, and it didn't register in my mind. I was like, wait, I'm gonna, I'm gonna be in the comic. They're just like, yeah, but in the show, and I was like, I'm, I'm what? Like it, it didn't, it didn't <laughs> in my mind. And then he. Like after he said it, I was like, they're not gonna put my name in no series. Don't play with my emotions. <laughs> yep. No, I was just gonna say we just have to let you know that I am is Shug's favorite episode. It is. I loved everything about that episode. I was like, oh my God. And the fact that the goddess name was Beyond Seth, I was like, oh. Oh my God. Like the whole episode, it was just like a love letter to black women everywhere. Like I absolutely loved it. And then to see Orinthia Blue come to life and not actually be the comic and see her in like full in the flesh. It was just like, it was a really beautiful episode. Uh, let me ask mm-hmm. this. Cause I'm excited since we talking about this, this, this really interesting like pieces. I'm excited because I told you I've been combing you and like stalking lately. And 
What's next for you? So we, you know, I was checking out the website and saw that you have a Kickstarter campaign for Aquarius, the Book of Myrrh. And oh, and, and for, you know, just so you know, when I'm telling my daughter about it, she says myrrh. So there's a Greek meaning to that. We should look it up and see what that means. And so I said, you should look it up. And so she looked it up and sure enough, we saw what the myrrh was. I said, oh, well, thank you. I said, I guess that's why it's mermaid. Okay, thank you. So anyway, can you tell us what this project is about? These are the conversations I had with a 10-year-old. And you know, my question is going to be, how did you link up with the legendary Daryl Mack of Ron DMC? I, I need to hear that part of the story as well. Okay, go. <laughs> this is important for my life. That's just, I'm just telling you now. She's like okay. one degree of separation away. She's super excited. Yo, hip hop yeah. is like a love for me. So I just, okay, I'm, I'm here. <laughs> Firstly, um, Aquarius, the Book of Mer, um, for those who don't know, it is a modern retelling of mermaid myths and legends from all over the world and melded with present day issues with water, family lines, and uh, cultural myths. Oh, wow. And uh, it was something that, it, it was funny how it actually started. I think at some point, I, you know, I was living in New York, I'm born in New York, and I go down to Chinatown, which is where I love to go to play video games and get manga. In sort of the Japanese section of Chinatown, there were all of these koi fish, and I didn't understand why the Japanese collected koi. Why was it culturally significant? And so I started to look it up, and... Um, koi were first collected in Persia, which is now Iran. And there was a story about Confucius bringing a koi fish to the emperor. And he brings a story of the koi and the golden gate. And essentially, uh, you know, making this long story short, there were a school of koi. I don't know if they congregate in school, but there was a group of koi and overhead flew a dragon. And they were marveling at this magnificent animal. And the dragon looks down and says, you know, I used to be a koi until I hopped the golden gate and became a dragon. And all the koi were just like, oh yeah, yeah, that's, we're, we're absolutely doing that. Like cancel your plans, that's, that's happening. And so they all start <laughs> going up the yellow river towards the golden gate. And some after a while are just like, oh yeah, I've got kids. I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna go. And <laughs> they just keep dropping out until there's just one koi and he finally reaches the golden gate, which is at the top of a hundred foot waterfall and a craggy mountainside. And so he keeps trying, he keeps jumping and jumping and jumping and trying to hop on top of this horrible, forceful waterfall. And it catches the attention of all the deities, the gods of the earth, the deities of the sky. And they all are fascinated by this koi who is trying to do something that they just don't understand. And so the devious daemons decide to make the waterfall two times taller. Some throw lightning bolts at him. Others, you know, make the rocks more craggy. And so one deity takes pity on him and decides that after a hundred years of effort that she would strike him and he would fall down dead. And as soon as he touched the water, he transformed into a dragon and flew up and over the golden gate. And so I thought, wow, I just, I just wanted to know about fish. <laughs> <laughs> 
I had no idea. And in China, it is, you know, customary when you pass a very difficult exam or do something that is uh, a really great uh, feat that you've hopped the golden gate or you've, you've jumped the golden gate. And so I thought, man, you know, I've gone through a lot of stuff and I really want to be an artist, even though part of me doesn't really think that that's real. Mm-hmm. And the story really resonated with me because it's like, you know, I've had a lot of people tell me that I'm not worth anything and that my dreams are stupid, but I'm not going to quit. I can't because the people who are telling me those things are unhappy and they gave mm-hmm. up their dreams and they're kind of mm-hmm. mad that I oh, even want to try. Yep. In real life, it's so true, right? Mm-hmm. Gosh. Yeah, and so I'm like, you know, I'm, I see people, I look at the greats, I look at, you know, my family and their history, and they've faced all kinds of things. They faced some horrible things. My grandmother, Anna, bless her heart, she's, she's 92 years old, still alive, living in Tuscaloosa, Alabama. And when she was hey. in her 30s, right? Hey. <laughs> that's, she's from Alabama. That's why she's doing. I'm right. from Alabama. <laughs> <laughs> my dad was born in Mobile. That's where, that's where she's from. That's my hometown. <laughs> I'm here right now. So, yeah. girl, we gotta talk. Look, it's so exciting. I know you just you just made it another like yeah. She owns cloud ten. Yes. <laughs> so we have to ask, what's next for you aside from? Um, mm-hmm. the project that you just spoke about. What else can we mm-hmm. look for? What else can we expect? I think everyone is just really excited to to keep up with you and to know what you're doing. Yeah. Well, I'm kind of putting all of my my blasters on Aquarius, the Book of Myrrh, because I'm I'm not only illustrating the book, but I'm writing and I'm making an album. Um, that's yes this is the run dmc thing let's go because you have this the musicians that are joining in this project yes. i thought that was like i was like is it a book is it a, <laughs> a cd what is it so i'm going to have uh first and foremost an audiobook where i'm reading the script kind of novel style and i'm also going to have an ebook you know for people who are just like look i got enough books i can't I can't keep yet another graphic novel on my shelf. I'm run out of Ikea shelves. But I'm also going to have a physical book. And within the book, there will be um, QR codes that will lead to music that lets you know that this part, yeah. just kind of like, you know, you know it's time to turn the page when you hear the sound. Like, like back in the wow. day, like reading Rainbow, where there's music accompanied with a, a story. And I, I grew up on that. I grew up on the letter people. Just yeah. so the association with music and art was was always there it was inseparable for me so i want to kind of bring that multimedia experience to this story so in some parts you know the lyrics to a song will be at the bottom of the page and in other places there will be no dialogue at all and the song will tell the story and it'll just be in pictures and so um i'm going to be singing playing the flute writing music and one of the tracks um will feature Daryl from Run DMC and it's a song that I wrote about my great-grandfather and um, a dream that I had and I kept having it over and over again and in the story we'll we'll show how that dream actually saved my life like in real life and I've given that story to uh, my main protagonist but Daryl Daryl is amazing like I um, I met him at a comic convention and I did some work on one of his books because he loves comics he's always wanted to do comic books but 
um, he was discouraged by someone and said that, you know, mm. you can't do that. So he made himself a superhero in his group. And me, like me coming from both, you know, classical music and, but also hip hop. Like I was a part of an underground hip hop crew called the Anomalies where I beatbox you know, with their residents. Yes. Like, yeah. Like, he's <laughs> legit. Yes. I wanted to break dancer for Listen, right. <laughs> this pharmacy <laughs> thing didn't work out. I was going to be a break dancer. Did I say that? <laughs> Favorite movie. Oh, you should see me when I get a little, you know. Oh, I'm sorry. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm from Tampa, Florida. So you know that wasn't a thing down there. I wasn't in New York so bad. But go I mean, there were the pro-ams down in Miami, but I went down there and I battled some like battle DJs, (laughs) and I was not that good, but I was like, I'm not quitting. Uh, like I love this because it you know hip-hop like underground hip-hop was just it was beautiful it was this mix of like jazz and poetry and then its own thing and and then all the cultural divides you know got washed away it was just like just bring your best bring your best work and, and like and do it flex it be a dj be a battle dj be you know graffiti writer like mm-hmm. it doesn't matter where you're from it just it matters what you do and I was like, I, I can, I can get up, I can be a part of this. I mean, I, the crew had cut and candy, pre <laughs> the honey dark and uh, 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 Rockefeller and Tara, like a oh, man. I mean, there were just so many amazing women a part of this group. And I was like, I feel like I'm in a group of superheroes. Wow. And so I started meeting these other uh, musicians and I wasn't much of a singer then I could just read sheet music so I got you know put into these different bands and things like that and you know so meeting Daryl was just a, a freaking dream and and I did some artwork in one of his uh, in one of his comics and we were sitting on a panel and uh, we were talking about our origin stories and I talked about how I came from music and so he kind of looks down and he was like you sang and I was like yeah, yeah, that was that was what I did full time before I did comics. And he was like, okay, okay. So at the end of the panel, he was like, you got any songs? You want to sing something? It's like, wow. Okay. Whoa. And so I just started like beating on the table, like, oh, I gotta take off one of you now, like, right. <laughs> <laughs> because my because my uh, my great granddad is is Cherokee, but he passed away when I was one. So I I. I don't know how I remembered him, but I did. And so I, I wrote this song for him, just kind of in, in in that spirit, like, oh man, I haven't even warmed up, but it's like a... We all start in the dark And we never get told which way to start Hey, but even with my eyes closed, the window, where do you go? Because we follow the light. Yeah, we follow the light. And he was like, oh, you sang, sang. Right. <laughs> I just almost teared up. I was like, oh my God. Right now, like. What's happening? And he's like, let's do that song. And I was like, what? what? He's like, yeah, 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 let's do this song together. And it's like, just, you know, if you can, you know, get some folks to put it together, you know, leave me some bars to, to rhyme and we'll do it. And I'm like, but, oh, it's wow. <laughs> wow. Wow. Huh? 
okay right (laughs) so I'm like well I can't just get anybody to do this so I started assembling the team and like trying to find a way to like put it all together and I'm just like well I got to tell the story but what am I going to do am I just going to do the song and then not tell the story because it's one and the same I was like why don't I just do it at the same time and so I started you know really taking the book of Mer serious and saying like, okay, work on so many different stories. And then after Lovecraft Country and seeing just what's possible, going between times and genres, and then just seeing this amazing production with thousands of people, I'm like, well, you know what? It's time. It, it's, it's time for me to do this. So I've been trusted with some of the world's most phenomenal stories. I've got to learn to trust my own ideas. And I'm going to have people, you know, uh, good friends of mine who are writers look over it and, and make sure that, you know, I'm doing the story justice. But I, I doubted myself for too long. And my work speaks a different narrative than what's going on in my own head. So I'm like, all right, I'm going to invest in me. And, you know, I have a lot of stories lined up. <laughs> and uh, they're all just kind of like, rivers kind of start from mountains and snow and trickle down and and then join this larger river. That's kind of how these stories are going to be. A lot of short stories contributing to a larger one. And uh, the main story is going to be a storytelling device to get into, you know, the Ningyo in Japan or the the Sabawa Ilnu and Nahuas or, you know, um, La Sirene, La Balen in Haiti, just all of these different stories about aquatic creatures that you know kind of get glossed over and the little mermaid takes precedence which was great because we all sang those songs but you know some of these stories are incredible and a lot of them are similar across cultural lines Mm -hmm. and so I'm just going to have you know ways of showing that people as they traveled they brought their stories and they brought their legends with them and that you know, not only these legends, but some of my own family history, like just my, my grandmother passed away two, two weeks ago. And thank you. She was a, an amazing woman, 91 years old, mm. um, just <sighs> strong, silent, distinguished, just beautiful. I mean, caring, uh, but stern, you know, and hardworking and never complained and just remembered everybody's birthday. You know, she, she's just, she's like porcelain. I, I just, I'm like, I, I can't, I don't have that much of myself together. Yeah. <laughs> you know, but I thought, you know, what am I waiting for? Hmm. I think now is the time to tell my stories and theirs because they've lived a, an incredible life. And I want to take a a piece of that and honor them in a story as well and and I've been running into some really just really interesting people like um uh there's a a woman who I met in the grocery store actually named Mishana and uh, I wanted to make a story about uh, a little girl in New Orleans who wants to be a, a an Olympic swimmer wow a little black girl who wants to be an Olympic swimmer and she she starts to develop vitiligo and it's not just a skin condition, but it's an autoimmune uh, disorder. And so the kids are very cruel to her. 
and they're just like, yo, black is coming off. And, you know, some kids can be, <laughs> she's pretty young. Yeah. So that it, that really, it really hurts. And her parents don't quite know what to do. And so to try to make her feel better, they get her these koi fish and they're like, look, they swim and they have spots and they're beautiful. <laughs> you know? yeah. And so while I'm developing the story, um, I'm here in Georgia and I'm at the farmer's market and I see this beautiful woman over in the apple section who has vitiligo and I was just like oh, okay I don't want to be that person like hi I'm an artist can I draw right. you I'm like I'm gonna just let the woman shop and just not be creepy <laughs> and uh, we end up checking out next to each other and and my husband Cameron's just like did you see her she looks just like that I was like, shut up right. <laughs> <laughs> oh god she's like you're an artist and I was like Yes. And so I start to tell her about the story and she's like, I'm from Louisiana and my mother survived Hurricane Katrina, but her mm. two koi fish didn't. Oh, wow. So she bought two of my mermaid prints to give to her mom and um, uh, her, her brother who um, had special needs also passed away this year. And so in lieu of flowers, she told her church and her mother's sorority and in their community, instead of buying flowers, please donate to Afua's Aquarius, the Book of Mer Kickstarter, because uh, her brother Lorenzo loved my artwork and wanted to see the book happen in his birthdays in May. So um, there, everything just. And that's the date it's coming out, right? If I recall, is May. Yeah, it's coming right? out in May. Wow. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and just that that hit me like a ton of bricks. I was like, oh, oh. Yeah, that is. But man, look how God be lining yeah, stuff up too. Someone to be, yeah, going. yep. He still lines stuff up, right? right? You know, it's so so instead of her thinking, you know, she could have said, you know, let please send money, you know, for for this, for the burial, for any of those things. No, she thought of someone else. Yeah. I just, oh, my heart. I, that was a second ugly cry. Yeah. <laughs> that, that, that was an appropriate one. So May, 2021, this is when we can expect. Yes. Okay. The, okay. The Aquarius, the yeah. book of so Mar. All my, all my guns are firing it. I have got some other projects, but I can't talk about those just okay. yet, but they are really, well, really As long as we ones. can bring you back. I'm excited I, about I'm those. okay. Like, as yes. long as we can bring you back. <laughs> you can tell us all the time. So Liz, I, 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 I promised a little person that they could ask you the last question. And so, you know, I'm going to pass the mic and we're going to pray on whatever comes out this mouth. <laughs> She's like, no pressure or anything. <laughs> well, take your time. Go ahead, Kendi. I'm going to sip some tea while you come up with it. <laughs> Stop making me laugh. <laughs> good. Laughing's good. So then you won't be cynical. Right. <laughs> Come on, little KB. Hi, my name is Kendi, and I have a question. My question is, what program do you use to draw? Oh, thank you for asking that question. I use two programs, Adobe Illustrator and Photoshop, but I want to start getting into Clip Studio Pro because I hear a lot of the things that uh, Illustrator does which is working in vectors and vectors are, you know, long and short of it is you can zoom in forever and not see any pixels. Um, so you can create and export vectors in Clip Studio, but then also Clip has a really nice sketching tool. So I, I really like Illustrator because 
if you're making t-shirts and billboards and posters and banners, um, you can blow up and reduce the graphics and it's not going to get fuzzy on the edges. And that's something that you really have to worry about when you're making uh, different kinds of media. So that's why I liked it. It was something that, you know, uh, if I, if I drew something, I could just take a piece off and then use it as something else without having to worry about um, converting it into a file that I needed for, for marketing tools. Um, but it is a little time consuming. You have to be able to make your own brushes in Illustrator, which is not that hard. Um, you could just make a shape and then make a new brush and then add it to your library and save it. But the freehand, just the ability to sketch in Doodle, there are, there are other programs like Clip Studio or with an iMac Procreate, which is really, really that's great. That's what I've you're been, using now, yeah, right? Procreate, Procreate. Procreate yeah, that's awesome. what he has now. They have a lot of different options and so on. I don't know if they're vector options in that, but I've seen people do some really cool stuff. And I was like, I want an iPad. I want to do some cool things that are portable. <laughs> you know, so each, each program gives you a different, has a different advantage and a different uh, disadvantage, but there are a lot of tutorials out there that can help you get towards the style that you want. So what kind of stuff do you like to draw? Like style-wise, like what kind of stuff do you like to, to doodle? I just like to draw people. Yeah, cool. One thing that I would do is um, I would carry a really small sketchbook that could fit in any bag, you know, maybe that big you know just not too too big because then you know your shoulder gets all out of whack and whatever but since you have an ipad you can just sort of carry that around everywhere it's not, it's not the best idea but i would sit and draw people when they weren't looking it's a little creepy sorry uh, <laughs> but i would practice drawing them as fast as i could the essence of them before they moved just mm. as an exercise like and the best way to do that is if you're holding your book in a way that you can move your eyes, but not your head. Have you ever tried to like take uh, a cell phone and take a photo and then try to take the exact same photo again? You can't yes. really line it up. So when you move your head, you change your camera. So if you can hold your tablet or hold your book in a place where you can see the tablet or you can see your medium, and your subject and just move your eyes, then you can get a more accurate representation of what it is you're drawing because they're gonna be moving. And if your paper's moving and then your head is moving, you're gonna, you ever like draw on a flat surface and you're just like, you pick it up and you're like, ooh, that's, that's not good. Their arm and their eyes are like way over here now. <laughs> that's a good way to avoid it. <laughs> Holding it up in a way that enables you to draw and see them at the same time. You can quickly doodle their face. And I, I did that, I, I did that for, I still do that, but I did that for maybe 10 years and I got to see all kinds of faces from different angles. And when they moved, I just drew them from that angle. And then they left and more than likely they didn't know I was drawing them. Or if they did know, I would just give them a drawing. I was just like, mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> thank you. You want to tell them thank you? Thank yeah. you. Thank you. <laughs> she's not You're this welcome. shy. She's, she's acting forward. shy right now, but she's not shy. <laughs> I look forward to seeing your art lady. She, she's building her sketchbook. She has pictures yeah, yeah, yeah. and I'm putting them together to put in a booklet. That's what, I, you know, 
That's it. Yeah. I yeah. One um, final oh, job. What really helped me was putting it on a website. Mm -hmm. Well, that's okay. Each sketch is just a way for you to practice. You know, I have, I have a lot of half done sketches. I have, you know, a book full of finished works. But a lot of times in the sketch phase, you're learning. You're learning how to like take life and represent it in a shorthand, which means you're not getting every single detail. You're just getting the shapes and the general idea enough to say, this is how I see this. And uh, I think that's why a lot of people like anime so much because it's a, an easier way to represent life and emotions and facial features but when you look at the bodies you know even though some of them are kind of skinny they're realistic proportions and proportions are just a ratio the relationship between one shape and the other so when you start to learn like okay the eyes when you're looking straight forward line up with the corners of your mouth and your eyes end up being a ruler for your face so even if you make them bigger or smaller, as long as they're in those proportions and they're lined up correctly, then you're okay. You can exaggerate, you can make them really big, but people will recognize it as real or at least you know, fictionally real uh, when you learn what those proportions are. So study, study people, people, people. They are time to draw. Excellent advice. Thank you so much, Afua. This was amazing. Kenny said yes. <laughs> <laughs> you need to use your words and say that though okay we're, we're actually like, don't force me yeah I, <laughs> next time she's gonna be running her mouth to you and talking like going west. okay anyway take it away oh, Afua, we want to thank you so so much for joining us today and for being a guest on our mm. show please share how our listeners can follow you on social media. Um, also follow your work and purchase your work um, as well. Cause we know you have the food store. Yes. 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 And you can uh, see my work on my website, afuarichardson.com. That's a F as in Frank, U a Richardson. And uh, oh, I see, I see that. Right. Country <laughs> right. <job. laughs> We've like, been holding that like the entire time. <laughs> I think he wants an autograph. <laughs> did he sign that one? Wait, did he? I did my bad. I want to. I want an autograph. I, I got too. I'm right. right. I want an autograph. <laughs> if he wants an autograph, we all want an autograph. Oh, I did. Okay. Okay. Good. 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 I'm oh, just, that's I cool. thought I signed all of them. I love it. I, yeah. I hand stamp and um and autograph all of them when I when I can. Oh um, and um, I'm on Instagram as Dr. Foo, D-O-C-T-A-F-O-O. -O. That was a nickname somebody gave me because I didn't have any health insurance for a long time. And I was just like, you got a cold? You need to get you some hyssop and some honey. And, like, it was ridiculous. Oh, they called me Dr. Foo Medicine Woman. Oh, <laughs> my Love it. And uh, I have a group on Facebook called Dr. Foo's Lab. Oh. Um, where it's uh, aspiring artists and professionals who post and ask questions. And we do uh, Google Hangout drawing sessions on Thursday where we just share our screens and talk. And, you know, we answer questions and we just kind of hang out you know, because being an artist, you can be kind of isolating. I'm also on Twitter under my name, Afua Richardson. Thank you so, so much. We so appreciate you being here with us today. Thanks I I even teared up today, and I don't even tear up on a normal day. 
I think I sent you a friend request on Facebook. <laughs> Just because you're like, who is this girl? It's me. Let me get <laughs> and I also now. Yeah, and I also have a mermaid as my cover photo because I'm like really big into Yemi Ya and Orishas. So yes. 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 so please yes. accept my friend I'm request. I'm, I'm fangirling yes, really hard. I'm not crazy. <laughs> but yeah. <laughs> now I appreciate you. If if my if my artwork can you know, just reach somebody, then that's, that's amazing to me because I just stay at home, you know, and, and draw. And I don't, until I go to a comic convention, sometimes I just don't know if anybody even sees this stuff. I just kind of like, right, sent out on the internet. Right. <laughs> Time to make another one. <laughs> and like, that's it. Like, I don't, <laughs> I'm like, I hope people like it because there's so much art and there's so many things to, uh, interact with, you know, it's hard to know really how people feel about it. So I, I really appreciate the the feedback and the and the encouragement because, man, you know, uh, I I went through a lot of things growing up and and just having music, just having artwork to look at and and just be able to know that there was beauty in the world somewhere or just like look at something and, and invoke emotion to listen to a song or just get lost in it. Um, to be able to come back and, and deal with my reality in, with a new perspective. I was like, man, that's medicine. That's, that yeah. is true medicine to, to think and feel a certain way and then hear a song and then your mind is completely changed. I was like, I want to give back to that because if I didn't have that, I don't know who I'd be. And if I couldn't make that, I don't, I don't think I would be the same person. So it, it's like when someone saves your life, you have to pay a debt. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I hope I'm paying my debt to art. <laughs> I'm really trying. I think you are, especially yeah. inspiring the next generation of young Black artists like Miss Kendi, who we expect great things from. So, but yeah. thank you so much thank for being guys. on the show. We definitely will thank not make this the last time. <laughs> yes. um, we definitely want to bring you back when the Mer stories come out. Yes. Like, we definitely want to talk about that i'm excited about that like let me go to your kickstarter right now and place my pre-order but um this oh, was amazing i missed yeah that. yeah that's what oh, the yes. kickstarter is is kind of it's a pre-order it's, so you can go to kickstarter and look up aquarius the book of myrrh and mm-hmm. you can get a pre-order it'll be released in may but i i'm going to be publishing Kendi, through Kendi image can, comics Kendi mm-hmm. asked can we get a thousand copies okay let me see if i can work that out <laughs> And uh, I'm just, I just added add-ons. So if you make a pledge and you, and I'm going to have a, an art book, an art zine also that has all my work from the last five years as a perk. So it'll be all the sketches uh, from Lovecraft Country, the Black Panther World of Wakanda stuff, and just the meanings and the symbolism and the coding and just oh. all my notes and things like that from it. And in then issue one of my art book kind of revamped and made in a fancy way so there'll be those two volumes available on the kickstarter and i'll have enamel pins and t-shirts and things like that available also but stickers mer magnets and um i'm also going to be adding the lovecraft country prints whatever prints i've got left for anyone who wants to grab those up 
they will be available as add-ons for the Kickstarter. So check out uh, Aquarius, the Book of Mirth. Can I put a request in since I have your yes. ear? Yes. Listen, we need more like birthday kit stuff. So this, okay. uh, you know, Aquarius, the Book of Mirth would be awesome if you could like tablecloths and things for birthday because we have a okay. birthday coming next <gasps> November. So this would be perfect. Okay. I'm just going to throw that out there. Yeah. So, I mean, more black, like stuff like this for birthday parties moms would kill for it absolutely okay. i'm just giving you that okay that's it <laughs> yes ma'am what Wait, does that mean you know i want to make sure i make things that people need and want you know if i just she's asking for a something. thousand so they would go off it isn't <laughs> okay that's it so i'm just Wait. saying get on it let's get on it <laughs> eventually i want to start doing tutorials and things like that i, I want to start doing more video tutorials that, you know i have to get better at my video editing because I never really know what it is people want to learn. And I'm just like, well, I learned from watching. So maybe if uh, I explain my process and uh, do a speed draw, but then also like a slowed down version where someone's like, okay, uh, you can follow along with me as I say, okay, well, I'm, I'm just going to do a sketch here. And this is how I'm looking at this object. And this is how I practice. And this is how I go from rough scribble to final in my way. And you might find your own way but this is a way that you can, <laughs> that you can do this. Perfect. Thank you so much. Yeah. So again, thanks to Afua Richardson for being our special guest. And for our Dope, Gifted, and Black segment, we are shouting out 12-year-old Caleb Anderson for being accepted into Georgia Tech University. He is only 12 years old. He is currently enrolled in high school and is taking classes at a local technical college. And next fall, he will be joining Georgia Tech. He wants to travel to Mars, but he also has some other goals first. And he wants to try to get his master's at Georgia Tech and then do an internship with Elon Musk. And then he'll probably get his PhD at MIT. And then he thinks that he'll start working at NASA or SpaceX. And apparently this little boy is amazing. He started reading at six years old and started doing math at two. So apparently little Caleb is a genius. So we are excited to see what he does while he's in Georgia Tech and after. So once again, thank you all for joining us. This has been another episode of the Fem Noir Files. Bye. Don't forget to listen, rate, and review us on Apple Podcasts. Listen to us on SoundCloud, Spotify, and Google Play. Connect with us on social media at Film Noir Files on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Thank you for joining us for another episode of the Film Noir Files. Bye!